Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. In my mind, one of the great prayer promises in all the Bible. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Father, guide us and direct us in the moments we have together. Uh, Help us, Lord, to understand a little bit better about prayer, not only the necessity of it, but the great blessing of it. And uh, Father, we're going to look at the transformative power of prayer this morning. And Lord, uh, just help us now. Guide and direct with every word, every thought. Thank you for these songs we could sing together, this time of fellowship that we could have to glorify you and praise your name. And more than anything else, Lord, we need your presence in the remainder of this service, Lord, that we might not worship in vain, but we might worship in spirit and in truth. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, when we think of prayer, more often than not, we think of the answers to prayer. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And we have prayer requests all the time around here. Last night we had men's prayer meeting and uh, a lot of prayer requests, prayer requests for the lost, which I'm always grateful for. Um, You know, I don't mind that we pray for one another with sickness and infirmity. Uh, Anytime you've ever been sick or had a lot of illness in your family or some sort of physical ailments, you always appreciate prayer. But I always appreciate it when we can get past the physical to the eternal. And we heard so many prayer requests last night for lost people, people that are not saved, that need Christ as their personal Savior, and the witnessing efforts of so many of these men. I'm looking at a couple decisions cards from this summer, uh, from our, our conference over the 4th of July weekend. And uh, this is on the 2nd of July, a young man named Caleb that came forward and trusted Christ as his Savior. Another young man named Zach that came forward and trusted Christ as his Savior. After one of our street workers was out there handing out tracks, he responded, took a track, and looked up the address, came to church, came down the aisle, received Christ as his personal Savior. I have little notes about different testimonies of many of you in your walk day to day, in your everyday business, taking the, the time uh, out of your schedule to talk to somebody in your proximity and people coming to Christ as their personal savior. One young lady led two people to Christ in one day and one, one opportunity to uh, witness while she was at the store. Uh, others, uh, long-term situations where uh, one of the young men in our church had been talking to somebody in Alaska for a long time. And he finally bowed his head and heart and received Christ as his personal Savior. We see the power of prayer by the virtue of answered prayer, and things get changed. There used to be a bumper sticker I I saw often. I don't see it anymore, or at least I haven't seen it in a long time. It just said, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things, and indeed it does. But I want to take you to a portion of Scripture where it shows us that prayer does more than change things. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. Let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 13. 
Psalm 13. And this short little chapter is to me the most amazing chapter in all the Word of God on the subject of prayer, just by what it demonstrates, by what it demonstrates, perhaps not intentionally, but what it demonstrates is the transformative power of prayer, how prayer changes the one who is praying, how prayer changes the one who is praying. And it starts out, and this is David. And the first couple verses, you'd hardly, you'd hardly recognize the sweet psalmist of Israel. You'd hardly recognize this as the man that wrote in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You don't really see that in the first couple verses. We will see it by the end of the chapter. But he says, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Notice how many times he, he asked the question, how long? How long in verse 1? Twice he says it. Uh, and then in verse 2, he says it twice in the same verse. And he just is over and over again, he's getting impatient with God. He feels that God is dragging his feet on answering his prayers. I've said to you before that my biggest prayer difficulties have been with timing. Uh, I'm usually in a much bigger hurry than God is. Have you ever been there? You, you see, there's a situation you're in, there's a sense of urgency that you have, and it just seems that God is taking his time. And that's what David is complaining about here. In fact, it, it's hard to even say that the first two verses are really prayer. They're more like complaining. They're more like griping to God. And uh, maybe you've been there before, I know I have, where my prayers have turned into something like this. And here's a man looking for light, and all he can find is darkness. Here's a man looking for hope, and all he can see is despair. And we've all been there before. We've all been there before. And so we ask God four times, how long, how long, Lord, how long? And then notice in verses 3 and 4, he gets down to some real prayer here. He says, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's in earnest here. He's in earnest about getting his prayer answered. This is not a, a, a mindless or thoughtless mealtime prayer that's just offered as, as a ritual or sort of the appetizer to the meal. This is earnest prayer here. And uh, I hope our mealtime prayers are not thoughtless and mindless. I hope that in earnest we do thank God for the food that we have because there's a lot of places in this world where they don't have enough to eat. We're, we're truly blessed when our biggest problem when it comes to food is, is how not to eat too much. Uh, we certainly live in the land of plenty, the land of abundance. And he says, consider and hear me, verse three, O Lord my God, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Uh, David often invokes his enemies in the midst of prayer, verses 3 and 4 here. And he's saying, look, Lord, I've got some red-hot enemies. They love to see me falter. You need to deliver, please, or they're going to be rejoicing. And I would suggest this morning that most of David's enemies were God's enemies. And so he comes to God on that grounds as well as other grounds. And notice what takes place by the time you get to verses 5 and 6. You'd hardly believe, 
in verses 5 and 6. This is the same guy we found in verses 1 and 2. For in verses 5 and 6, he says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And uh, take a look at verse 1. Take a look at verse 1 again. And then drop down to verse 6 and look at verse 6. And ask yourself, could that possibly be the same guy? And indeed it is. It's just the thing that changed everything was what we find in verses 3 and 4. Some real prayer. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. All that we ask, folks, or even think. Even the prayer requests. Even the prayer requests that you thought were so, so beyond reach that you didn't even bother to think about them. You didn't even bother to ask them. You just gave it, gave it the thought, it passed, and you thought that's ridiculous. And so you didn't bother to ask. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I look at the transformation in David here, and I look at one of the great benefits of prayer that are underappreciated. I think too often we look at prayer as just a way of rearranging circumstances, of a way of getting God to intervene in a problem or a situation to our benefit. And in this particular case, we see the reality of prayer transforming the person that's actually praying, taking them from despair, verse 1, to hope, from darkness, verse 1 and 2, to light, verses 5 and 6. And what a change here we see in David. This is the one that wrote the 23rd Psalm. Let's take a look at it this morning. Psalm 23, just 10 chapters later. If there's no Psalm 13, I suggest to you this morning there's no Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, in, in chapter 13, verse 1, he's in doubt of the relationship. He says, how long wilt thou forget me? He thinks God has forgotten him. By the way, if you're a child of God, he has not forgotten you. He's not going to forget you any more than any parent in this room would forget their little child. Uh, that would be irresponsible of us. God is not an irresponsible parent. He's not an irresponsible father. But David looks at it that way, and he says, How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? And just because we can't see God doesn't mean he's hiding his face from us. God is a spirit. We live in the temporal here. We live in, in the here and now. And the Bible says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. Psalm 13 is, is an example of God restoring the soul of David. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I ask you this morning, what did you come here for? What did you come here for? Did you come here to praise the Lord? That's good. Did you come here needing your soul restored? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You came to a good place to get your soul restored. As I was walking in and we're singing these songs and I'm hearing the praises of God and seeing people sing and joining in and singing myself, my soul is restored. There is no Psalm 23 without Psalm 13. He says, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
Notice that his rod comforts him. Not just the staff to guide, but the rod to chasten. And I know chastening is not pleasant. Chastening is not pleasant at all. My dad always used to say, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I always thought to myself, well, then don't do it, dad. (laughs) Why do this if it's going to hurt you more than me? Because I know how much it's going to hurt me. And, And chastening is not pleasant. But we understand, according to the book of Hebrews, he chastens us because we're his. And he loves us. And he doesn't want us to get so far out of the way that we completely shipwreck our lives and turn into a train wreck. So he chastens us. So David says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And he says, he says, uh, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. There's those enemies that David was talking about in chapter 13. Those enemies that would rejoice when David faltered and the basis of some of David's prayer. And here he says that he prepares a table before the enemies. In other words, he's having a feast in front of his enemies. And uh, that causes his enemies to be downcast in their own eyes rather than rejoicing in his demise. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How do we get Psalm 23 this morning? We get Psalm 23 because of Psalm 13. What a wonderful transformation in David's mind, his heart, his language, his entire outlook. And maybe you come here this morning in need of your soul being restored. Psalm 13 is your answer this morning. Psalm 13, go to the Lord in prayer. Don't worry about the specifics of the circumstances. Don't worry about him intervening and doing something for you. He'll do that, but he'll do that in his time. If you don't acknowledge that, you'll be with David there in the first couple verses, and you'll be doing the how long, how long, how long, how long, and just leave the timing up to God. But know that God is God. Know that God is God. In chapter 13, if we look at it again, what happens is in verses 3 and 4, David settles that. David allows God to be God. David doesn't know how God's going to do it or what God is going to do. He just knows that he is going to do it. He just trusts that he will do it. And that's all you need this morning for that transformation is just know that he will. Uh, One of my problems is, is I'm always telling God how to be God. Have you ever done that? what you need to do and when you need to do it and how you need to do it. And a lot of times what we just need to do is let God be God. Just trust him. Leave it in his hands and know that he will take care of it. And when you get done with verses 3 and 4, you get to verses 5 and 6. And notice what the first phrase in verse 5 is. He says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. I've trusted in thy mercy. Uh, Christian, this morning you can trust in God's mercy. Think of God's track record when it comes to his mercy. The Bible says over and over in the Old and New Testament that God delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. He looks for excuses or reasons to extend mercy. He doesn't look for reasons to drop his wrath down on us. He doesn't look for reasons to squash us like little bugs. He looks for reasons to extend mercy, even when we're out of the way, even when we're in sin. He looks for reasons to extend mercy. And so David says, I have trusted in thy mercy, verse 5. So this morning, you don't know how God will answer a prayer. You don't know what he'll do. 
uh, you, don't, you, don't, you don't see any of that. With, with your sense of what the resources are, it's, it's so limited that it's outside the pale of even getting done. But that's not, that's not what, the way we should be thinking. We need to be thinking the way David was thinking in verse 5 where he says, I have trusted in thy mercy. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I just know that you're God and your track record when it comes to mercy is impeccable. So I'm going to trust in that mercy this morning. I'm going to leave it in your hands, Lord. I'm going to truly give it over to you. And I'm going to get out of verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to land in verses 5 and 6. I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. If you're saved here this morning, no matter what happens to you in this life, nobody can take the salvation that Jesus Christ has wrought for you. That's yours for time and for eternity. Nobody can take that from you, and you can rejoice in that. Folks, that's something we can always rejoice in. You say, well, the finances aren't going so good. Well, you can still rejoice in his salvation. You say, there's health problems. You can still rejoice in his salvation. There's relationship problems. You can still rejoice in his salvation. There's, there's marriage problems. You can still rejoice in his salvation. There's problems with the kids. You can still rejoice in his salvation. There's problems with the neighbors. You can still rejoice in his salvation. I look at the news of the day. You can still rejoice in his salvation. Amen? We can always rejoice in that if you're saved here this morning. And he says in verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. What happens between verses 1 and verse 6? Do circumstances change? Not so much as his heart changes, his outlook changes, what he is seeing, what he is not seeing anymore. Before, the glass was half empty, and all he could see was the half empty part. Now the glass is full, and it's running over, and that's what he sees. And now he's rejoicing. What took place? Real prayer. Real prayer that just throws our case, throws our being, throws our emotions, throws our will, throws everything off on God, and just trust God. Verse 5, but I have trusted in thy mercy. I've trusted in thy mercy, Lord. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know you're going to do something and you're going to do something that only you can do. And isn't it great when God pulls the answer out of his unlimited resources, and it's something you never thought of? It's something you never thought of. When that happens, we can't make the error of, of ascribing the answer to something else. It's got to be God. It's got to be God. And I think a lot of times the Lord lets us get to the end of ourselves like he did David here in verses 1 and 2 so that he can get that childlike trust and faith in him, like a little child going to his daddy or mommy and relying on them solely because that little child knows that he doesn't have the resources, he doesn't have the knowledge, he doesn't have the ability to get done what needs to be done, to get what he needs to get, what he wants. So he just throws himself on his parents that he knows are stronger and more experienced and more resourceful than him. And that's the way we need to come to God. And that's why God allows us to get in the position of verses 1 and 2, where we sometimes look for light and see darkness. We look for hope and see despair, because that'll cause us to throw ourselves upon the Lord the way David did in verses 3 and 4, and trust, verse 5, in his mercy. And our hearts then rejoice 
in his salvation that he's given us. Nobody can take your salvation from you. If you're saved here this morning, nobody can take it from you. Nobody. And you can't, you can't get rid of it. It's not yours to lose. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, you're in, you're in the Father's hand, you're in the Son's hand, and the Father and the Son are one. You are in good hands. You're in good hands with the Lord when it comes to salvation. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. Rejoice in his salvation this morning. You say, I'm really looking for that prayer to get answered. I wish he would hurry up. Trust in his mercy. Trust in his mercy, his mercy toward you in answering this prayer. Rejoice in his salvation because nothing can take that from you. There is no circumstance in this world that can even affect your salvation. I cannot make myself one whit more saved than I was when I got up this morning. No matter what kind of message I preach this morning or how I sing or worship the Lord with you this morning or fellowship, it's not going to make me any more saved. It, I, I can't get any less saved anything I do this week, Monday through Saturday, coming up onto the next Lord's Day next week. I can't make myself more saved. Nothing can change that. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I don't know what I've believed. I know whom I have believed. I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And his work is complete. His work is finished. And I have been justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I have imputed righteousness, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Nothing can move that salvation. Nothing can change that salvation. Nothing can affect that salvation one way or another. And so David rejoices in his salvation. And then I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. There's a big difference when we come together and we sing because we're rejoicing in the Lord or we're just singing to sing because that's what we do. That's part of the service. We sing this song and that song and then we have preaching or we sing this song or that song and we have prayer and some special music and some announcements and then we sing another song or two. If we're just doing it to do it, it's not, it's not going to edify. But if we do it for the reason that David says in verse 6, I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Even if you're in a dry spell right now, why don't you look back this morning and realize that God in the past has dealt bountifully with you to bring you to this point. He's done that. David is recognizing some things that he wasn't seeing in the first two verses, and it changes everything. The landscape now looks completely different. All of you have seen one of those pictures, I call them trick pictures, where you look at it one way and it looks, looks like a tree, and you look at it another way and it looks like a young lady. Uh, in, it just depends on how you see that picture. It's the same thing both times. And that's what David is seeing here. It's transformed. It's gone from a tree to a young lady. It's gone from darkness to hope. It's gone from despair to fulfillment of God's promises all in six short verses. And how we look at verse 1 and realize that the guy in verse 6 was the guy in verse 1, that transformation takes place simply because of prayer. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, 
according to the power that worketh in us. Maybe this morning you're looking for some answers and you're saying to the Lord, how long, how long? You're saying with David that you're impatient about things and you're looking for a specific answer. You're looking for something out there. But what God really wants to do in this process, he's going to answer that thing out there, but he wants to do something in your heart first. And maybe that's why we have to wait. I don't know. I've never been able to figure all those things out. I just know this, that when we have to wait, we rely on God more. And we rely on God who rejoices in mercy. Verse 5, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. What a wonderful psalm. Because of Psalm 13, we have Psalm 23 this morning. What burden did you come here with this morning? You can take it to the Lord. You can leave it at the throne of grace. You can leave it there with him. Uh, let's go to the book of Hebrews. God encourages us to come to him in prayer so we can receive the same transformation when we need it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So there's our mediator, there's our high priest. He's someone that understands. He's someone that understands David in verses 1 and 2. He's the one that said on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He, he entered into our suffering. He entered into our dismay, if you will. And so we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He felt the pull of the lust of the flesh. He felt the pull of the pride of life. He felt the pull of the lust of the eyes. He felt the pull of all three of those major areas of temptation. We saw that in Matthew chapter 4 when the devil tempted him. He says now in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Because we have such a compassionate high priest, an understanding high priest, he says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldly. Boldly doesn't mean flippantly, but boldly means we have access and we have confidence in that access. Unlike Esther that didn't know if she approached the king, if the golden scepter would be held out. If that scepter wasn't held out, it could mean her life. And so she went. But we're told to come boldly. We're told to come because the scepter is held out for us. According to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 here. God wants us to find grace to help in time of what? Time of need. That need is what we see in Psalm 13 verses 1 and 2. That time of need. And for some of you this morning, you're right there. You're right there. And what you need now is verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. Gather yourself up again. Don't worry about what you said to him when you were mad. He doesn't hold grudges. You ever say something to God when you were mad that you wish you hadn't have said? Yeah. Aren't you glad he doesn't hold grudges? Gather yourself up. Get out of verses 1 and 2. 
He's not forsaken you. He's not hiding. He's not through with you. He hasn't left you. You're still his child. And gather yourself together and pray according to verses 3 and 4. Some serious prayer. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against them, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Lord, if you don't intervene, I'm in more trouble than I know what to do with. That's what he's saying here. And verse 5, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 means we have Psalm 23. Let's look at Psalm 23 one more time and we'll close. I hope I'll be forgiven this morning if we, if we finish early. If that's okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I heard a guy say one time, he said, God should be able to give a, a preacher as much sense as a washing machine. When he runs out of water, he quits. <laughs> so I'm going to be out of water here in a minute, and we'll close. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what we come to worship sometimes, to restore our soul. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. People worry about how many followers they got on, on their uh, Facebook account or YouTube or whatever it is. The only two followers you need are goodness and mercy. You got those two followers. You, you got all the followers you need. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice the sure mercies of David here. David knew he would be with the Lord for all eternity. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's rejoicing in his salvation as we saw in chapter 13. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the great pr promises of prayer scattered throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We thank you for these. I pray, Father, in some way, some shape or form or manner, even in a small way, your people would be reminded of just what a wonderful resource prayer is, what a privilege it is, what a blessing it is to have fellowship with you on the basis of prayer. Father, may we experience over and over again the transformative power of prayer. When we find ourselves in Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, may we get to verses 3 and 4 and not linger in verses 1 and 2. And may we find ourselves at the end of the day in verses 5 and 6, giving glory and honor and praise to your name. Father, may we truly sing your praise because you've dealt bountifully with us out of a thankful heart, Father. Truly worship you in spirit and in truth. Because, Lord, you said you're seeking such to worship you. Lord, may we be part of that remnant that worships you in spirit and in truth. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 510. Number 510, near to the heart of God as we sing.
Sam Gipp, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? Father, it has been refreshing to be in church today. It's been good because uh, our ship is uh, in bad shape, our country, and there's grief all over. And that was grief in the first two verses of that song. But David knew what to do. The next two told him to come to you, and the next three said everything would be all right. The next two said everything would be all right. God, it's been refreshing to be here. Thank you, Father, for church. Thank you for our pastor. And thank you for being the God that you are. You are so kind. You are so merciful. You are so good to us. Bless these people, Father. They came. Somebody came today. I'm sure they didn't feel like coming. And I hope they were blessed for their presence here. And I pray, God, that we would, we would be the light that you meant us to be to this world, uh, that we would bring people to you and glorify your name. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.